Hey guys, Matt here with the Chocolate Croissants Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by our very good friends at Nata Tattoo, a certified all-natural, all-vegan, and all-organic premium tattoo care brand. Their renowned tattoo care kit covers all steps from how to treat and protect your fresh tattoos to how to keep them healthy and looking great even when they're fully healed. Now, I personally have a bunch of tattoos, and I've always struggled with finding the best aftercare treatments because I have super sensitive skin. Even my tattoo artist, Mr. Eric Willis, you can follow him on Instagram at Drill by Willis, will tell you that he is super careful while tattooing me because my skin has the tendency to become super inflamed and get ripped up. I actually have some scars in some of my tattoos just from some really bad aftercare treatment that I used previously. Um, so I'm, I'm extremely picky about what I use. And when I had the chance to use uh, the Nata Tattoo Care Kit on one of my fresh tattoos recently, I was presently surprised with the results. It healed up perfectly and it looks great. I started with their cleanser that they offer as part of their tattoo kit. And for the first few days, I applied that along with the lotion that they offer as the second piece of their tattoo kit. And then finally have continued using the balm, which is the third piece of their tattoo kit. Now, the cleanser was super easy on my skin, really doesn't have a strong scent at all. If, if any scent, I mean, it's barely noticeable. Um, the lotion smells and feels really great. It doesn't leave an oily residue and it reduces the inflammation and infection. It actually feels really good going on. And then the balm, has kept everything looking really, really good. It looks like restored from, from, you know, like the first day that I got it and it's fresh. And, you know, I always think that the second day of a tattoo always looks the best. And with the balm being applied every single day since, um, that's what it looks like. It looks like I just got the tattoo. So it looks great. Um, I also have been using the moisturizer and the balm on my older tattoos, some of which are years and years and years old now. And it's pretty, uh, pretty, pretty freaking cool. Um, how much these tattoos pop, like I said, even years later. Um, so, you know, just a little bit of history very briefly on the brand. Um, Justin and I got the chance to meet the folks at Nata Tattoo while we were attending the Health Expo East when it was here in Baltimore some weeks back. And we had a chance to speak with Nata Tattoo's founder. Uh, her name is Christy. And we were really happy to learn that Nata Tattoo is actually a family company that she started um, because she was in search of the best products for her own children's sensitive skin. So initially she started a brand called Pura Botanical, uh, which offers luxury bath products that are natural, safe, organic, and that would not damage or harm her own children's sensitive skin when they would clean up. Um, but then as her kids got older and they're, they're now grown men, uh, they started getting tattoos of their own and she decided to form and begin Nata Tattoo as a way to offer tattoo care that would achieve the same results as the soap products did by protecting and basically uh, keeping care of her kid's skin after they got tattooed. So basically, in a nutshell, Christy is a super mom who created this brand out of the love and passion for her own children. She's probably going to kill me for saying that, but it is what it is. She's a super mom. Um, and now what's so cool is that she's offering these helpful products for all of us other inked up kids out there. Um, and you know, we got to say thanks, mom, for that. Um, the company is also huge into philanthropy. They do a lot of work locally in Florida. Uh, they also do work overseas. And their goal has always been to create authentic products that work and and that have been built off of the foundation of a mother's love. And frankly, it doesn't get much better than that, I gotta say. 
So whether you have existing tattoos or you're in the process of getting fresh ones right now, I'd highly recommend giving Nat a tattoo a try. The company has been very, very kind to us and they've actually opted to provide all of you listeners with a special discount code that gets you 25% off of any of the products in their store, including the tattoo kit that I described before that comes with the cleanser, the lotion, and the aftercare balm. If you like to purchase this stuff and use your discount, just simply visit natatattoo.com. That's spelled N-A-T-A-T-A-T and the number two dot com. Once again, that's N-A-T-A-T-A-T-2.com and use the code CHOCOLATE25 in all caps. That's all one word. CHOCOLATE is all caps. The number is 25 at the end. CHOCOLATE25. Use that at checkout and get your 25% off all of the products on natatattoo.com. You can also check them out on their socials. On Instagram specifically, they're at natatattoo. And once again, you can get your discount right now at natatattoo.com. That's N-A-T-A-T-A-T-2.com with the code CHOCOLATE25. Hey guys, welcome to episode 29 of the Chocolate Croissants podcast. Matt here. I hope everybody's doing great. I'm going to keep this short today, let you guys get right into the episode. Uh, Episode 29 features my very, very good friend, Mr. Wes Halk. Wes is an incredible guitar player, an incredible friend. Uh, He's sort of just you know, knows everybody in my uh, group of friends and is revered as probably the best guitarist I know and is always revered as the funniest and most dear friend that everyone in this group has. Um, He's like a big brother to everyone. He's always caring. He's always there to lend a hand. And he's the kind of guy that would wake up at three, four in the morning, five in the morning to do whatever you needed if he could lend a hand for you. Um, That's his character. And I absolutely love him. And I'm so glad that he was able to join us Uh, this week on the episode. So we talk about a few things. We talk about uh, his views on the current state of the music business. We talk about his history as a guitar player, where he came up from. We dig into what he would do if he couldn't play guitar anymore, uh, which is a pretty, pretty intense topic. Uh, Wed is also a Navy veteran, so we talk a little bit about his views on the military and his experience in the Navy. And overall, there's just a bunch of good laughs, a bunch of of good stories in here. And um, you really get to know Wes a little bit just through even his mannerisms, you know. Um, and what's so cool about this episode, I think, that's very different from others is that, you know, Wes is at a point in his career where he's still figuring things out. He's just like a lot of us that haven't necessarily achieved the pinnacle um, or reached the highest level of where we're going to be. And I love that because it gives you a snapshot currently of where he is. And I hope that everybody that's listening in some way can relate to that. You know, um, We've all been in a point where we're kind of figuring things out. We've all been in a point where we have crossroads and we need to decide which direction to go. And what's really great is to, to sort of hear Wes's, for lack of a better word, jolly attitude and, and um, Uh, optimistic disposition, despite really just being in a transitional phase and figuring out what direction he's headed. So from that standpoint, I'm really excited for some of you guys to hear this because it's just truly very real in that sense. Uh, This whole conversation is very real in that sense. Um, Now, one thing to keep in mind, Wes was on the road. We had to to schedule this around uh, all of our crazy schedules. So you'll hear a couple car noises, some car door beeping opening. You'll hear some wind in the background, um, but nothing that will, uh, you know, distract you too much from the 
the content that we've put together uh, and that we discussed in this episode. I think everyone will still find a lot of value from it, and I really hope you guys do. Um, before we jump in, I just want to give, as always, a very, very quick shout out to our Facebook group. Uh, if you haven't joined our Facebook group yet, you can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissants. Uh, every week, there's more and more interaction, more and more engagement. We're seeing people post uh, about their challenges, and then we're seeing even more people step up to the plate and offer solutions, offer stories, and offer feedback that can help one another. And it's truly inspiring to uh, to witness this. And you know, we've seen a huge uptick in the amount of uh, people joining the group over the past uh, couple weeks. So if you're interested, you're you know you're not alone. Come join us. Come talk about what's going on in your life. We'd love to hear about it. And we'd love to talk to you directly. We always announce our guests in the group beforehand. We give you an opportunity to ask questions for the guests that are coming up next week, um, you know, and the following week. So if you want to get on the action, once again, it's facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissants. Uh, also, if you consume your podcast on your phone, like I do and like all of us uh, here at Chocolate Croissants do, then we would love it if you would subscribe. By subscribing, you, uh, you'll, you'll automatically get our episodes downloaded on your phone, hopefully while you're on Wi-Fi asleep Sunday night so that when you wake up on Monday morning, every Monday morning, you will have a new episode from us that you can listen to throughout your day and you won't have to utilize all your data in order to download it or listen or stream. So, uh, so if you haven't subscribed yet, we would love that. If you like us enough to leave a review or a rating, that is amazing and we truly would appreciate that. It really does wonders for us as far as being more visible and getting more people listening and hopefully, uh, you know, the more people that listen, the more people we can educate and provide uh, more value to in their lives. So that's always our goal. Uh, last but not least, uh, again, this episode is sponsored by the good friends of ours over at Nata Tattoo, a premium tattoo care company. And as always, our very, very good friends at Rode Microphones who make it possible for us every single week to communicate with you guys via this medium. Their microphones are top notch. They have tons of offerings. And if you're curious to learn more about them, you can check them out at rode.com. All right, guys, that's enough for me. I'm going to let you dig into this episode. I truly hope you enjoyed. If you have any questions, again, hop into the Facebook group, send them our way. And uh, we really, really hope you get some laughs, some enjoyment, and some value from episode 29 with my very, very dear friend, Mr. Wes Halk. You got me good. So I guess we're even at this point. How about we just like, we should text each other first and be like, hey, are you decent? Because I'm about to send you something real fucked up. <laughs> yeah, know? I mean, it's like, well, it's like, it's like letting someone know that they're on speakerphone when you're talking, you know? Yeah, yeah, straight up. I don't jive with that. I definitely let people know, like, you know, because like, we'll say shit to each other to be funny. That's like, pretty heinous sometimes. And it's like, like, <laughs> You don't, you don't want, you know, I mean, necessarily everyone else to hear it, but that was one where you, you like, you hit me with the bricks pretty hard on that one. And it was, I, I think I was making fun of you for that shitty bracelet that you had that one time. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, was it one of the, um, was it one of those, one of the, oh, fuck, what bracelet was it? Was it like a silver one or was it one of like the bead ones? It was one of those bead ones. It was funny. Like, I, I don't know. It was, it, like it's shit like that that i don't know when you, whenever you get away with it it's like it's uh it's like doing bad shit when you're a kid and then you end up like getting away with it and it's funny yeah. i was telling someone the other day i was telling i was telling somebody the other day when i was in eighth grade me and my friends took one of those chalk spreaders and we wrote tits and penis on the <laughs> upper field in chalk and like that's the dumbest thing ever but as a kid we were just like oh man that's good 
Like, just, I mean, this something stupid is like riding tits and penis and chalk. And like, it was visible from like the road. Like, so parents would drive by and see it. It was like a day off school, but um, I don't know. Like that, like no, no one ever found out who it was. And it's still like, I'm in my thirties telling that story and it's funny. I mean, so Jordan and Justin, you guys don't, I don't know if you know the extent of this and, and really our listeners, um, you know, so I think some people will definitely uh, know a lot about you, Wes, but a lot of people may not. But one of the things that uh, that I wanted to, to talk about just kind of briefly is <clears throat> like how how Wes and I met way back in the day. I don't even remember when it was, what year it was, maybe 2010 or 2011. Um, but it was in L.A., and we basically just kind of became like it was like instant like brother brotherhood like it was like oh okay yeah we're we're definitely gonna be friends for life and I'm gonna punch you and you're gonna punch me and to this day like when Wes and I get together in the same room everybody in my band like cringes because it's just uh, it's uncomfortable because we like we'll sit next to each other and Wes will just like give me dead legs and then I'll elbow him in the chest and then we just start fighting. And one time uh, we were, we were in Salt Lake city and we, we got into a little slap fight outside and Wes uh, like totally hit me right in the throat as hard as he could. <laughs> well, not as hard as he could, but it was pretty rough. Um, I mean, it was, it, well, I mean, it was, it was an accident for sure, but I mean, that's, that's, it was, uh, I guess it was hard enough. It's hard enough to, like, make you mad. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's like, you know when people hit, like, when you hit yourself or, like, you you bump your head on something and it just, like, infuriates you? Yeah, that's what I call you get that weird taste in your mouth, like that adrenaline taste. Like, I'll hit my head on something and it's, like, immediately bad mood. It's a weird thing, like, that, I don't know, I'm not necessarily proud of, but it's like, you, you could be, like, totally in a good mood and you smack your fucking head on something and you're, like, ready, like, ready to... I don't know, throw a chair or like fight someone. I know that. I mean, I'm not a. That makes me sound like a dickhead. We should probably cut that out. <laughs> no, 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 no. I know. I think everybody in this room or, or in this room, everybody listening to this podcast can relate to that because there's nothing more infuriating than like you're getting out of the shower and you bump your head or like I don't know, you're like ducking under something and you don't judge it correctly. Like it happens to me all the time because I wear hats and like my brims forward and I don't know, I just smack my head all the time, but. What I what I was gonna say was, you know, pretty early on in our in our friendship, you came out on tour with Periphery, and you were a, you you drove you drove the bandwagon, um, and correct, and you and I spent hours overnight doing long drives together, talking about life, talking about you know, funny shit, deep shit, sad shit. Um, just everything that was going on. And, and I think that really was how we built our friendship. And to this day, you know, Wes and I will call each other for advice. We'll call each other to talk about the most awesome things that are happening in our lives. And then like the toughest things that are happening in, in, in our lives. Um, and you know, part of the reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast, Wes, was because, you know there is a lot of depth to you. You've you've done a lot of awesome shit in your life. You've been through some pretty crazy stuff in your life, um, and through all of that, I think there's there's these things about you that that everyone who meets you really uh, kind of agrees on, which is like one, 
you're you're an amazing friend. Two, you're funny as hell, and you you know how to make everybody laugh, and it's very natural when you do it. And then three, um, everybody who I know and all the best guitar players I know consider you to be like the end all be all like best guitar player in this whole fucking scene of music. And, and I don't mean just like the gent scene. I mean like just in general among all of our friends, everyone sort of, you know, you're revered as like the guy. And I don't know if you know that, but you know, just on the record, I'm letting you know that, and I'm sure everybody would agree, but like all of our friends, you know, Dusty and Tosin and uh, Misha and all the guys in my band and, and you know, the Aaron Marshall's Justin. of the world. Justin. Yeah, can everybody. I throw down on that for a second? Let me throw down on that for a second. Yeah, go for it. Dude, uh, your vocabulary and and uh, everything is, is so – oh, man. I, I've, I could watch it, – it's great. When you find a great musician uh, and you could just listen to them or you could just watch them play all day or like – it's like kind of like um, the singer who could sing the – the dictionary or something kind of thing. It's like uh, the stuff that comes out and, a, and I mean, it's not just like left hand, it's not right hand. It's not, I mean, it's, it's just everything. And from like a technique standpoint, everything is just super flawless. Um, yeah. I could just watch you like run like little licks or just be like, Oh, I'm going to play this over E minor. And then you just like run something. It's fantastic. So yeah, I mean, I definitely uh, in, watching a lot of the guys that are out there currently i definitely put you in like you know hold you in the highest regards as a musician as a guitar player for sure amen well that's that's cool thank you man yeah um, for sure i mean there's there's a lot of dudes like it's kind of weird um i like matt kind of knows i grew up in a small town and like i grew up with a couple buddies who were like sick guitar players but there wasn't a lot of dudes to like start a band with and uh now i guess i mean in other words it was tough to find other dudes to like hang out with talk about guitar with and everything like that and now that i'm an adult it's weird i like pretty much i could call any number of dudes and hang out and like play guitar with them and they're all sick and i learn from them and i don't know it's like that's what i'm saying it's weird in my in my 30s i'm sort of like living my teenage years over again musically because like there's a ton of dudes who you know, if nothing else, like I love their band and like I like get to hang out with them and talk shit and everything like that. But there's just a shitload of killer players. So I don't know. It's it's a it's kind of a cool time, I guess. And because of one of the good things, I guess, about the Internet is that you meet new ones all the time, like meet new dudes who burn. And there's like young kids who are fucking deadly now so it's i don't know it's a cool time those kids those kids blow my mind i talk to matt about this all the time because i think about as a a musician like i started playing bass uh i changed you know i I changed and transitioned to bass when i was nine and the influences that i had are just i mean some of them were just great monster musicians great pocket players they had the right feel but it's none of them were as technical as what a lot of the guys are doing now so that a lot of in turn like a lot of the kids they're looking up to people you know as a great example of like periphery if you're, if you're able to play licks like that it's a whole different level and hopefully 
they realize that, hey, let me also go back, like, as a bass player, let me go back and also check out stuff from, like, the Motown era and maybe some Beatles and Zeppelin or whatever else. So it's not just the, like, technical metal genre. But if you can figure out and understand what it takes to play that kind of stuff, then everything else should be able to sort itself out. Yeah. Um, so, like, the availability like the availability of it, I guess, which is sort of a good thing and a bad thing. Um, I agree with you. This is a weird analogy, but like when you were a kid or when I was a kid, you had like one of your friends let you borrow a penthouse magazine and you were just like, (laughs) Oh my God, this is sick. And it blew your mind for like six months. And now like you can go on your phone and look up pretty much any kind of, porn that you would want to look up at any given moment it's the same thing with music like if you if i was 13 years old right now and i got to see like guthrie govan and like kurt rosenwinkel and dudes like across a pretty broad stretch like spectrum and that was like okay here's the baseline like this is out there it would kind of it'd be like wow where do i start you know like where how do i fit into this so um it's a good and a bad thing because I think there's a lot of people who don't focus on just one thing. Like that, uh, have you guys seen that Defiant Ones documentary yet that's on HBO? Yeah, with like it's amazing. Jimmy Iovine and shit. Dude, that, he says something in there that's so deadly and so on point. He says, uh, like when he's talking about Eminem's career, he's like, I did my best to like keep blinders. Like when, when shit pops off and you're like going in a direction, don't pay attention to what the fuck is going on around you. Just like steadfast towards that goal. And that's what he, he like uh, used racehorses as the analogy. He's like, they put blinders on them. So they're not looking at the other horse. They're not worried about like, Oh, this dude's going a little bit faster than me. And Oh, this dude's like, you know, like got better form than me or whatever. Like this horse is going to win. And then they psych themselves out and then it's over. The whole thing is like, I guess, having the tunnel vision and the blinders on just kind of trucking trucking at it if that makes any sense yeah i know i just hit some weird ones i i, I liken pornography <laughs> to youtube musicians <laughs> no i mean and then i, think, I talked I about think a, you definitely nailed it and and i'm wondering you know so you growing up as a kid when did you start playing guitar and and is that something that you did where it was kind of just like, no matter what was going on, you kind of just put your head down and you were like, I'm going to dedicate everything to this craft. And then what kind of lessons, because you went through that and you became so good because you were so dedicated and so fixated on one thing, do you take a lot of those lessons and did you take a lot of those lessons to other things and apply to other pieces of your life? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess if I thought about it enough, maybe, but uh, as far as starting out playing guitar, it was, um, I find this to be the case too with like a lot of guys, I guess, my age, um, like dudes who ended up playing metal. The first shit that I ever got into was Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and Soundgarden. In other words, like not, you know, like, not like ripping fast technical stuff, you know? It was only like a couple years later. Like my segue from that stuff was into you know like the early like fat records punk like Lagwagon, propagandi and that was that was like you know fast riffs with like sick distortion sound and that sort of like got me into metal you know like that was like the 
the thing. And then, I don't know. I mean, of course, I I had a great teacher who was a, like a, a jazz dude, Rich Severson. And I learned a lot of that stuff. But I'd say, I mean, you know, like, for the most part, I got into metal. And pretty much everything I've learned since then, I've tried to, like, integrate somehow into heavy music, for better or for worse. And um, if there were anything that I could say that was different about practicing as a young man or whatever like getting into the moment when you realize oh, okay like like you got to practice or you got to do this to be able to sound like this or do these things um that was that was like a thing that i i didn't have any other kid to like base that off of and i didn't have like an easy way to learn it like i'm guilty of it now I would transcribe, I mean, I, when I was a kid, I'd go and listen to records and, like, figure out the stuff and figure it out wrong. And as a result of doing that, like, come up with something new because I learned something wrong. Does that make sense? You yeah, know, absolutely. like, I guess that's maybe where style comes in is, like, trial and error and bumping your head and figuring out a certain way to do something. And then it becomes part of your vocabulary. Um but yeah, the difference, I guess, is like playing guitar then versus like, you know, like, I mean, I, I was completely like, everything was new. Everything was like, there was like this innocence in being able to go and like grab a distortion pedal and turn up the gain and be like, oh, what does this do? Like, I didn't know what gain was. I didn't know what like level was on a delay pedal. Everything was just like new and like there wasn't a lot of information out there. And that, I think that is a a special thing that maybe a lot of kids don't get to do these days like this day and age because let's face it i mean at least for guitar with all this shit out there like plugins and modelers like there's probably kids who are like four years into playing guitar now who've never even plugged into like an actual amp so um how all i'm saying well everything that i'm saying right now how it all ties into like a unique experience um for me as opposed to you know what it is now uh, i'm not sure if i'm making like total sense but i'd say that uh maybe it was a little bit more stoic and i guess i'm proud of that in a way that like um relating to the guitar and staying interested in the guitar without a whole lot of like merit or benefit behind it like you know or accolades or anything was like kind of kind of like i guess makes me keep doing it now so when people say nice things about me now i'm like wow that's really cool it's like it's what you and i were talking about yesterday to a, to a degree and, and i was talking about this with justin a little bit earlier but it seems like when when you were really digging in um when i was digging in with the drums you know we didn't we obviously didn't have youtube we didn't have all of these transcription services out there uh we didn't have uh, Guitar Pro, and just all the tools and all the modelers and all these things that, that you're talking about. You know, like we had to use our ears and we had to figure it out for ourselves. And one of the things that I always loved to do from a young age was I loved to be able to play in front of other people. Even if I didn't get it right or know what I was doing 100%, like I, I didn't have the, tran the transcriptions or the books. I just kind of played what I thought the songs were by ear. And because of that, like you said, when you would play something a little bit different, you actually ended up kind of making your own version of it, making your own 
sort of, or take you know putting your own twist on it. And I think for me, that led to my uh, like interest in learning more about improvisation and then my ability to improvise on things um, and to be able to jam essentially. And what we were talking about was that a lot of the musicians that we see now, a lot of the younger players, a lot of the people even in our circles, um, you know, never really got into jamming. They never really had that because a lot of the younger players, they learn songs by reading the guitar profiles or by reading the transcriptions or by learning things verbatim. And there really isn't as much of a need. I don't want to say there's, I don't, I don't want to like say that concretely, but there doesn't seem to be as much of this, uh, the, you know, trial and error, I guess is what I would call it. You know, there, there's no, there's no trial and error without help. Um, anymore, at least in a lot of the circles that I see. So, and, and what I compared it to yesterday with you, Wes, was like when we were kids, we would just go out and play. We'd go outside, we would get in trouble, we would scrape our knees up, you know. Um, and nowadays, kids are just like on their phones and on their computers. I sound so fucking stupid and old saying that, but I'm really true. the like, same thing, Matt. I mean, yeah, like people, like people just don't. <laughs> thanks thanks jordan but i don't know people just don't get people don't get out as much no i'm here okay. I'm, I'm not i'm laughing i'm laughing because i'm not laughing at you i'm laughing as like yeah i mean we do we sound cranky i guess when we talk about it but i mean i know we're right like well and and justin you had a really good analogy too when you were talking about with chemistry like if you want to even elaborate on that yeah for sure so um I'm in this organic chemistry class right now, which is something I never thought would be a thing I would be telling people. Uh, I never thought this would like be on my radar, the thing that I'm doing on a, a day-to-day basis uh, at any point in my life. And um, what I was saying to Matt earlier was what's interesting is the exam will come and people will complain that the the problems they see are not necessarily the problems that the teacher has already presented us with. And it's like, well, she's not trying to get us to understand uh, like on the surface, you know, just a random question out of the entirety of, of whatever we're studying over the course. It's more actually understanding concepts and being able to apply that. Right, right. So you're saying like almost like it is. So it's like, it, it's, it's like, it's, it's like what people are doing these days is you're going and learning like the sexy portion, you know, the easy part of like, oh, someone already transcribed, uh, how to play the solo on mile zero, right? And it's like, cool, I'm just going to go learn that. But they have no idea what got someone or you to the point that said, oh, I'm going to write this like this because I've spent enough time in the simulator growing up over the years practicing all of these techniques so that I can then apply them to make this bigger picture. Right, or like, or just to, to elaborate on that, it's I think it's this idea of um, a lot of people learn the song the one way you know there's a lot of drummers who will learn my drum parts from reading my transcription books and they'll learn it verbatim and then that's it they don't spend any time trying to you know listen to the melodies or listen to the music and then take their own spin on it and try to elaborate on what else it could be um and i think the difference in in if you had two kinds of players one player is going to be very very scared to deviate from the exact way that they learned the piece and 
you know, the thing that they're comfortable with because they've practiced it one way. And then you have another player who's more willing to take the risk because of exactly what I what I was saying before, the trial and error. Like when you fuck up, you fuck up, but at least you 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 learn how to fuck up and maybe you'll discover something fresh. And I think that's the difference between being able to jam and just go with it and make music on the fly. And then the difference between uh, you know, someone who really is is Wes, as you put it, like they look like they're scared on their instrument, you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, don't get me wrong, it happens to like to everyone if you get into playing an instrument and respect it or care about it like and you spend a weekend or a week away from it i mean me personally it's like there's times where if you know i haven't been able to touch a guitar for a week i look over at it and i'm scared of how i'm going to sound on it and that is such bullshit like i, I you know like like like, I'm, like to call myself out like um you get used to um, I guess a certain level of, of quality out of like yourself or your hands or whatever. And, uh, like there's, I, I guess I jumped the gun on what you're trying to say. Like, you know, there's, there's work that's put involved in, in sort of eating shit and like scraping your knees and getting up and, and, uh, figuring it out. And that's what makes like, that's, that's what makes like, a musician who can speak the language and a musician who's like, uh, you know, a, a pre-recorded sort of dude or whatever, like a, a super rehearsed musician sort of different. Um, but the, I guess the thing that I'm saying with being afraid of the guitar, there's anyone who's listening out here and like knows what I'm talking about where you're just like, God, I do not want to sound like shit and pick this thing up right now. And like, clown myself don't don't worry about it just pick this thing up you'll suck for like 30 minutes and then it'll be all good yeah and first of all i mean that not only applies to uh you know being a musician in the context of jamming or performing but i think that's more universal to just life in general uh whether you're at work and you have to present something in front of people or you're at school and the teacher calls on you uh i mean just in general, we often second-guess ourselves and don't have full confidence in ourselves. But to take Wes's advice, uh, a lot of it comes down to just trusting in yourself and knowing that uh, you can handle it. Um, what I'm interested in is kind of digging into this idea of what are the motivations of someone learning and practicing an instrument? Because I think that would determine... Uh, the the strategies or the ways that someone actually either practices or uh, just explores an instrument. Uh, I know for me as a kid, uh, playing guitar and then playing drums was obviously I wanted to I wanted to be a performer, and that was a motivation of it. And I wanted it to be a social thing, so that's where some of the jamming would and would come in. But for me, it was a form of self expression. So I would just sit at my instrument for hours at a time and just play and explore. And I wasn't particularly interested in uh, lessons or even uh, even becoming like technical or articulate. I just wanted to play. And that's how I developed, you know, my, my voice and my, and my tone on the instrument. And, and I'm, I'm assuming it's the same for all of us in this conversation. And, and I'd imagine now in the 2017 world, 
Uh, I don't think it's that different. If someone is attracted to a mu- or to an instrument because it's a form of self-expression, uh, I think they will make those mistakes and kind of find their voice along the way. Yeah, I mean that's definitely like. I guess I I guess I get what you're saying, but um, the I don't know like. I guess what I'm getting back to, too, and what Matt's saying is that there's uh, getting out and playing with people and making mistakes. Like, f- f- you know, f- for for the same reason, for the same reason why, like, um, I guess you go and learn something or you're attracted to an instrument and you're attracted to a specific, like, type of playing or whatever. Oftentimes, you're going to go and like get pretty good at that and then start to feel like hmm maybe i've got the fucking hang of this man like maybe i'm pretty fucking good and then and then you go and you gotta go play like with some blues dude or some dude who's just like you know burning over changes and you're lost because you spent the last year and a half of your life like playing you know, stuff or like solos or rehearsing stuff. And it didn't really like blow up your musical vocabulary and like help you relate to other musicians. Certainly there's a merit in going and like rehearsing the shit out of something and, um, you know, playing it well and like sitting there and raising, you know, metronome 10 BPM at a time and really just owning it and making it part of, you know, your hands and, um, your mind and your synapses and your muscle memory, but what Matt I think is saying is that there's there's a deficiency that happens when someone spends too much fucking time doing that. Like you don't you miss the point of like music, where there's a whole bunch of other people who play fucking music, and how cool is it that you can go play music with them? You know, right? You, guys, and- you know what I'm saying? And, and I, I mean, we don't need to dig into this right now, or maybe maybe this is where it'll go. I know Justin and Jordan both have questions, but my 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 question for you, Wes, and where I kind of want to take this is, how does that affect the state of the actual part of the industry that we're in? Because I think, as you know, a lot of the musicians that are coming up now, a lot of the bands that are that are successful now, or, or that are growing or getting a lot of the limelight. You know, they, they come from this era where it, it is a little different than what you and I did. So how do you, I mean, if it's okay, how do you feel, um, how do you feel it affects the big picture? Um, how do I feel what exactly feel affects the big picture? How do you feel that there is, uh, I think, less... There, there, there's less of this ability to just get out and jam and play and have fun and not overthink what's happening on stage. But like, what is, what's your, I guess, you, you know, your feeling on like where you would want to see players nowadays go, you know, like where, if you could start right now influencing people to pick up their instruments and then eventually write music, and then eventually go on tour, and eventually play. What like, what's the key that that's missing now that we don't see, in your mind? Is or is there something that you think is really missing that people are kind of like just overlooking? You know? Huh. 
Um, well, I mean, if it comes down to just the sheer audience for such a thing and for bands to develop, and uh, I was reading this book the other day um, that my girlfriend got me. It's like this Pantera photo book. And uh, it's this photographer that followed them around from like the 80s to the, you know, the very end. And he's talking about this time in Dallas-Fort Worth where they would play clubs and, I mean, they weren't a, they weren't a professional band at all. I mean, like, by, by, like, industry standards, they were just, you know, some dudes who, like, great band, but they, they hadn't done a U.S. tour. And uh, they would bring 2,000 people a night to clubs in Dallas. Like, that would be a feat for any fucking, like, pedigree metal band in this day and age. So what I'm saying is, like, purely, I think the audience and the, like, the ability to develop as a band and play together and stuff like that has changed because there's less of an audience for it. You could argue that that's because you can go and watch a show on YouTube. You could argue that that's because people just have become less interested in live music altogether. Um, but do you know what I'm saying? Like, um, there's bands who put out an EP and they haven't played that much together live and then they hit the ground running. Like, they'll get a record deal and it's just like, bam. And they got to kind of figure it out and become a good live band as a professional band. Whereas, like, a band like Pantera or a band from that era did seven years of groundwork playing to shit loads of people and were like pretty much deadly as fuck when it came time to like really like go for it and be a pro band i know i'm just talking about metal here um i guess maybe i'm using that because like most of the people who are listening to this are probably into metal and that's maybe the most relatable thing but does that make sense like, well it does it, it doesn't like i even think back to like to to some of the other records that I grew up listening to, even like live albums. So like, if you want to talk about Pantera listening to like, um, one one proof, um, and how they just had fun. Like it was so much fun to even listen to that record. I can't imagine what it was like to be at that show. When I go back and I watch like the old Metallica videos from the box set, live shit, binge and purge, those dudes were having fun on stage, you know, and they were playing songs, but like, you could tell that like they knew how to jam um even even i mean there's tons of other styles of music that, that we could talk about here but but i think that f having fun with your instrument in the practice room having fun playing the local bar um getting a chance to play cover songs with your friends just as much as you focus on your you know it, like the music that you write and the music that you take seriously to get out there i think these are things that i don't see a lot of younger musicians doing that I attribute to being some of the best parts of live shows that I've seen and even my own personal experiences playing music. Like I have a blast getting to go play in a bar with a couple friends playing cover songs for a couple hours and not even worrying even slightly about periphery material. That doesn't mean I don't love playing with periphery, but I think that when I get to play those kinds of gigs, I take the energy and the fun 
and the the sort of like you know flying at the at the seat of your pants vibe and i try to put that into the live show with periphery and i personally would hope that there's a lot of younger musicians out there who would take advantage of doing things like that like you know play covers learn how to play solos learn how to improvise on different sections go play at a bar at an open mic um go go play at your local um you know rec center at an open mic and just like jam you know sit there and see what you can come up with because those things will allow you i think to be a better performer when you actually get on stage with your real serious act and again that's that's what i saw like when you talk about pantera those dudes like could do that you know what i mean oh yeah straight up i mean I mean, I know I'm biased, and everybody knows that I'm like a huge Pantera fan. But, and of course, dude, let's, let's go. Let's like to retouch on something. How fucking hard is Binge and Purge Seattle? I watched it the other day for the first time in a while, and it's just like two and a half hours of Metallica being like the most badass dudes ever. And like, I don't like that, that shit. And it's also like during an era where I don't know, man, like. I don't know if it was just because they were, um, they were, you know, like metal was, I don't want to say it was new, but like no one had really ever been as badass as them before. And, um, like all that, they would bring shitloads of people to a show yeah, and like not be on MTV, not even have a music video, none of that shit. And I don't know. It's. No, I mean, look, that, that stuff was amazing. Time. It was amazing. And, and that, those videos at the right time in my life taught me what I should be doing as a performer. You know, when I watched Lars in those videos, and I feel like we may have even talked about this on the podcast before, but when I watch Lars do his solos, when I watch him play live, when I watch those guys make their, their faces, and again, when I, when I listen to, to you know, 101 Proof by Pantera and I hear the way Phil talks to the crowd – you know, it's funny. Like the guys in my band, uh, the the guys in my band and I will put on that record, that live Pantera record, before we go on stage sometimes, just to get pumped up for for our show, because those shows were fucking badass to listen to, and I like I said, I can't imagine being there. Like the energy in that room and and the power that those guys had on stage and how they how they transfer that to their audience. Um, was was just I don't know like you can't compare and Wes I know you uh, you just opened your door everybody can hear that you're in your car now just so you know <laughs> <laughs> I was wow. thinking if you were like on a train or something no 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 I I'm, I mean it didn't affect the signal did it no 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 you're no, good you're, you're good, good. I, it's it's real it's it's just real but it's it's funny but anyway um, <laughs> Justin and Jordan I know you guys had a, a couple things you wanted to to, to chime in with yeah Jordan if you want to go for it. If I could real quick, I want to test to what Matt was talking about. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we jammed for, I don't know, 20 minutes or so, and I can kind of dick around on the guitar, so I was playing some Radiohead song, and Matt was playing drums to it, and it was really refreshing to see, Matt, how joyful you became, uh, especially being someone who plays all the time, and and plays you know in very significant circumstances um and you were on like a beat up pearl export and uh you just seemed to have a lot of fun and to just really enjoy playing music and that's really 
the reason all of us uh, started playing music. It was just to play. Like kids yeah. play on a playground. And for me, that was it was refreshing. And it gave me some of that spirit. Uh, it was just very cool to see. Um, Wes, I had a question for you, kind of going back to what you were saying about, you know, maybe your like 15-year-old self and discovering guitar and tone and all these things for the first time. And uh, like that is a really, uh, it's a nostalgic feeling and it's just a very uh, idealistic feeling. I'm curious if you're experiencing any of that now or more recently with uh, with something else. Maybe it's some other aspect of music or the music business or even something outside of music. Um, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question. Um, that sort of ties in, I guess, what I was going to say on the end of what Matt was talking about with improvising. Like, just to wrap up that thing, when it comes to great improvisationalists and you know dudes who are starting out is just like the decision to start doing it and not having fear and not fearing the instrument because the the difference between like a dude you know playing eight you know like little eighth note phrases over a 12 bar blues and then like someone just like ripping over crazy changes is not some like you know it's not like there's not like a a pill you take for that it's really just trial and error and hitting like bumping your head and like making the mistakes and being like oh and not being afraid to make them so uh to wrap that up i totally agree and that's what i would say is uh the difference and people should be less afraid of that now as far as what you're talking about i guess you were, you're talking about how i was like you grab a distortion pedal or whatever and you turn all the knobs and there's like this innocence because you don't know what's going to happen um i guess i get that out of, out of other styles of music now like um i guess in my in probably about the last year i really just was like okay i want to be i want to grow all the way up and you know start start at least getting good at reading charts again and start really getting you know like working on my playing so I can like relate to other people. Cause truth be told, I mean, the last seven years of my life, I've gone and learned bands back catalogs so I could, you know, play them live and stuff. And there was definitely like a, a benefit in that. Like, you know, like when I joined the faceless, I had to learn a ton of really, really hard shit and, um, kind of put the brakes on, um, everything else because, you know, like a, technically it's pretty demanding and there's, a certain amount of work you got to be able, you got to put in all the time to to play that stuff and make it sound good and um i think what it ends up doing is it takes away from like the you know playing over changes developing of like a you know an improv vocabulary does that make sense yeah and what really stuck out was you said part of the the motivation of doing that is to make it easier for you to relate to people. So I guess my question is more generally, what are your motivations moving forward with music? Is it relating to people so you can fill in if you're joining a band for a night or for a long-term gig? Is it so 
you can relate in different styles and genres just to jam and just to experience the social aspect of music. Um, I mean, what ideally would you like to be doing with music day in and day out? Um, yeah, I mean, of course, uh, like, as a kid, I always, like, it's the dream, of course, you know, like, and any, just to stay busy working and playing shows, but, um, you know, now, I guess, like Matt's saying, I want to be able to just go and sit in and jam with anyone and just learn learn the tunes you know what i mean like you got to learn a bunch of different tunes like break open like a real book and learn the tunes and be able to just like like that's that's what notation and all this other stuff is it's so like a group of people who've never played together before can like play something together which is pretty cool you know like that that's a gift that's been given to us that you can you can do that. You just have to put in the work to learn it. Yeah, so that's that, kind of where I'm at. I see that a lot in like the blues and jazz traditions, where there's this structure, there's a language, and and it seems like there it's just a different socialization process. I can just kind of imagine a younger musician sitting in a session with more experienced musicians. And those experienced musicians are mentors in a sense, and they're really helping that younger musician get comfortable in the language and kind of bringing him or her up in the language. And I don't know, it just makes me think about different genres of music and really just how there's different socialization processes within that. Um, but it kind of seems like that's the approach you're taking, so you can have this more... I guess well-versed vocabulary and 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 understanding of different maybe genres, uh, so you can develop instincts to you know have these musical conversations uh, with all kinds of different people. Yeah, I mean that's the goal. I mean I I, I know for sure that I'm not going to be able to buy a house someday doing that, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> I just like like as much as as much as I. You know, it would be super cool in this day and age to be a guy who really gives a fuck about guitar and music and getting like super bitching at it across, you know, every different sort of platform that you can. Um, you're not gonna like, I mean, in most cases, you know, like you, you might be able to pay your rent with it, you know, like, so I would say. Uh, my goal is to just play with a bunch of different people, get my ass handed to me, and then all bring it back to like a place where I can play it on a guitar with some distortion. That's my goal. Speaking of uh, getting your ass handed to you, and, uh, and this is relevant for everything Jordan was just speaking on, um, when I moved out to L.A., I was looking for people to play with, and I had already done... For me, I was I was very happy with what I had accomplished uh, in the bands that I played in with Jordan, band that I got to play in with Matt, et cetera, et cetera. And um, the first thing I found was uh, like an open mic night kind of deal, and it was all related to it was just blues standards. And I didn't really have uh, I wasn't well versed. I understood how to play the blues, but I wasn't very well versed in 
covering uh, a lot of the supposed standards. But what was really nice to, uh, and we were just speaking on this, um, was that there were these elders, these like elder statesmen of the community. And what was great about it was they were more than willing and ridiculously happy, I mean, almost like elated to be able to share these classic riffs with me. Um, and the nice thing was, uh, I mean, it was a little overwhelming, but there weren't many bass players. I think I was one of maybe two people in a room of say 50 or 60 guitar players. Uh, and everybody was willing to share as much as they could with me. And, and then I just, you know, I just had a trust in, um, the process of all, you know, all the music that I played over the years, I tried to be, I guess, a jack of all trades and an expert of a few different pieces, but it wasn't like I was trying to be incredible or an expert at every genre I could think of. Cause that would just take so much time. Um, and I didn't really have the interest in it. So I just did what, what was working for me. And the nice thing that came out of that was then I was able to go on and jam with some of those people who, you know, had been around for many years, played all these different genres, uh, but loved playing the blues. And I was able to learn so much more about that one genre through people that lived it in the era when, you know, you couldn't just look stuff up. They did a lot of the trial and error. It kind of speaks to all of the points that we've been making. Um, and, and yeah, it, it was, it was really nice to, to one, have that community, um, and two, to be able to communicate with them based on all of the time that I had spent even maybe playing different genres over the years. Right. There's, uh, I mean, that's, of course, of course, I should, I should backtrack and say that um, in discussing all of this, whether, whether whoever's listening to us is like just taking it as a narrative or they're like getting advice from it, that it's a big, big old fucking rabbit hole and there's a million tunnels in it. So I'm not saying like, you know, overwhelm yourself and just like start trying to play shit that you don't like just for the sake of, you know, having it, you know, I don't know. Like, of course you're not going to do that anyway, but I'd say pick some stuff and focus on it. And most importantly, like try to play with other people as much as possible and not fear your instrument. So, Wes, that you know, that brings up something that you and I have talked about a bunch, which is, you know, you you've sort of said to me, and I hope this is okay to say, but you've said to me many times, like you never really envision yourself as a quote unquote solo artist, even though a lot of people out there, I think, would love to to have a record from you as a solo artist because you do have such a a, a wide range of knowledge and, and influences, and I think it would make for a really cool record. And I've heard some of your music, and I've even heard the stuff, obviously, that you've done with Keith with Alluvial, um, and I've heard some of the things you've contributed to the other projects that you've been on. I've heard the solos you've contributed to things. I mean, I'm curious how you feel about, you know, this idea of, of what you've always expressed, which is wanting to be in a band and wanting to play with other people, like you just said, versus now being at a point where, you know, you've sort of expressed to me in, in certain ways that, like, maybe the solo artist thing is the way to go versus, you know, or, or, or some version of a solo artist, I should say, not necessarily the typical, um, you know, definition of that. But, like, how do you feel about the difference between really playing and interacting with other people versus just taking control of your own destiny in terms of, 
not having to worry about finding, not having to wait around for other people, but like just putting music out. Like, how do you feel about that at this point? Um, that's a good question. It's a pretty, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty easy to answer, I guess. I the reason why I never thought I was never attracted to the idea of ever being a solo guitar guy. Not that I don't fucking love Andy Timmons and like dudes like that, but I just I just always wanted to be the dude who played guitar in a band. I always wanted to be in like a group of of like of bros and go out there and like, you know, you you have your thing that you specialize in and that's it. You all like make decisions together and play the badass gigs and all that other shit. I mean that's 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 what aside from just being able to write songs like the idea of like doing it with a bunch of homies was the thing that attracted uh me to music the most um the reason why i don't know like it would be it would be a different it would be a different thing if i did a solo music thing i certainly wouldn't want to call it wes hauck at all um i i don't know i'm uh I'm not exactly sure what to do with it, but yes, I mean, as far as being like somewhat of a musical director of a band, I've become more and more comfortable with the idea of that. Um, you know, as far as a dude who's writing a lot of the tunes or like at least giving a direction, I've become more comfortable with that. But um, no, I don't have any interest probably ever in just being like, hey, the Wes Houck gig, come out and see, come out and see Wes Houck. Like, like nah, never. But yeah. um, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, like, but what? About, okay. Yeah, but 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 what about? There's um, something so dry dicked about that, like that to me anyway. That I don't know. It's just not a. It's not a. It's not a fun thing. It's not something that I would go and be like, oh, that that's tits. I'm gonna go see that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. And I get that. And, and I get that knowing you, why you feel that way, and it makes sense. Um, but I what think- about as like an but as an educator or a clinician because you know you you are great in front of an audience um as i mentioned before it's very entertaining and you obviously have a wealth of knowledge and you can play and you're not afraid to play in front of people so yes maybe you won't have a solo project that's like you know the the west halk uh musical endeavors or whatever you want to call it but um you know what about west halk as an educator clinician um, yeah, I mean, I like the idea of, like, clinic stuff. I think I would be, I, I mean, you know, it's definitely something that I've sort of done before, and I, it's weird. I don't have, um, a hobby or an interest too much outside of music other than, like, barbecuing and shit like that. Like, I'm not into sports. I don't have a favorite sports team. I'm not, um, I'm not particularly into politics or anything like that or at least i'm you know like i'm not someone who could speak on it with any sort of authority so like the the nerd shit about music is essentially what sports is to other people like you know sitting there and talking about like um nerdy theory stuff like flat five substitutions and like like even just you know like even this like just if someone's sitting there and they're like, how do you do that or whatever? And I like, they asked me about like how to pick or like how, you know, how your pick angle and how to get that sound. Like that's the shit that, um, like, I guess is, you know, 
someone sitting there and like playing fantasy football or like knowing the stats of their favorite sports player. That's the kind of shit that I get off on. So, I mean, in that regard, I do think that being a clinician um, is probably in my future in, in some way because I, I enjoy that. I enjoy that. And I think, um, you know, like that's, have you ever, I don't know if you like either of you guys have ever seen that dude, Troy, uh, Troy Grady. He's got a, um, a YouTube channel and it's all about like the crazy finer points of like alternate picking and all these dudes. And he's got this slow-mo camera and it's, it's pretty fucking cool. You check it out and it's like stuff that you've, you know, tried to figure out yourself as a kid. And he just, he's like a pretty, he's a pretty smart guy. Um, and a pretty sick guitar player. And that's the kind of stuff that, you know, I, I would like to get into, um, just kind of helping people chase the sound, I guess, that they want to have. Yeah, I think, I think that makes total sense. I also would, um, I'd love to just, just throw it out there. I remember watching a video on you talking about, I guess this is like, uh, and I'm not as well versed as, as obviously as you are with this, but I guess it's like oh, the Washburn is the dime bag is like the classic dime bag, uh, guitar. And you talked about, I remember you talked about the pickups that were in there and you're like, Oh, and if it doesn't have this and this, like the white and the black one, like, I guess it's like a, a humbucker. It looks like two single coils, whatever, not to get too technical. But I remember you talking about that. It, it, it almost sounds like, uh, the same excitement that, Matt was getting from jamming with Jordan was kind of the same, like maybe nostalgic excitement you were getting about talking about that subject. I would love to see um, you as an authority, even just on like a YouTube page, just talking about gear and these classic tones and guitar is great because there's so many freaking, I'm glad I'm not a guitar player because there's so many guitars, you know, that are classic and so relevant for specific reasons. I know you've talked about having uh, an affinity towards like the Telecaster body. And I actually just enjoyed as a musician and a fan of music and a gearhead, uh, not a guitar gearhead, but gearhead in general, I enjoyed hearing just your authority on those subjects. And, uh, is it, and I'm wondering, is that something that maybe you would entertain getting into? Doing kind of gear reviews or just talking history of gear, tone, stuff of that nature? Um, I mean, I think there's a whole bunch of dudes who already have, like, are way better at that than me. You know, like, there's, there's, there, the whole, the whole recording, like, can, like, thing has become such a consumer industry like now and like people talking about tones and having real strict authority on it as a thing like in um i I suppose the thing that i would maybe bring to the table that's different is just like sitting down with dudes and really really talking about playing um because like i mean you can go and watch tons of videos i mean dude straight up i'm a hobbyist recording guy at fucking best you know and i don't really want to um become like i don't know like i don't really want to divert all my time into like becoming a sick um engineer and stuff like that because there's just you know like as much as i enjoy listening to records and stuff like that there's just dudes who are just way better at it and like i learn from them i don't know who really knows what the future will bring because like the main thing is i'll i'll tell you what I'm going to have grandkids one of these days and I probably won't be playing a metal guitar. I'll probably be playing a 335 and they'll be sitting like around their grandpa and I'm going to be like an old man still playing guitar. Whether or not I'm doing it um, 
on a stage playing, you know, like a big stage or a bar stage, I'll still be playing guitar. And if I can find some way to relate to people doing that, all the better. I don't know. I guess like in this day and age, um, it's just all managing your expectations. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and it's cool to hear you talk about the fact that like you see yourself playing guitar for the rest of your life. Um, I want to shift Wes into some uh, some there, there's some questions that we got from our our group on the Facebook group um, about your military experience, and I, I definitely want to want to dig into that a little bit. Um, but before I do that, there, there's another question here that actually kind of uh, ties into what you were just talking about, and it's kind of a I think it's a darker question. But um, Sasha Rissling asks, um, "What would you do if you couldn't play guitar anymore for the rest of your life? Like, if you had to stop right now, your body can't physically do it." And relearning isn't an option. Is there something that you would do? Like if I lost a fucking arm or something like that? Yeah, exactly. Okay. No, that's a that's a damn good one. I think we've talked about this before. Because, like, uh, you know, you do in some way, shape, or form build your identity around a picture who does this thing. If I couldn't play guitar anymore... Um, I would probably um, okay. Are we starting like right now? Couldn't play guitar anymore. Or, like starting right now. Over if I okay. Yeah, right wow. now. That's hard. That's a pretty hard one. Um, well, you know, it's funny. You've mentioned to me before that like you would consider going into entertainment law. You know, getting into into in in getting a law degree is that something that still is of interest to you ever or like would be in that case uh i find law fascinating because of how like how fragile it is and it's i mean because it's as fragile as like people and societies are um and particularly with like as often as people get fucked over it would be cool to just be a dude who like straight up knew like the system knew um like how to defend someone, um, how to defend yourself. Like, like that's one, that's the thing that I find, you know, super fascinating about, about, um, law is that like you have, um, I mean, like there's, there's so many different parts of it. I mean, like you're talking about, there's lawyers that just review contracts for like a strip mall that's going and being built down the street. And then you have, a criminal defense attorney, which I could never fucking do that. That would like that. That'd be a real tough job, straight up. But yeah, yeah, I guess that's probably what I would do. You just answered that's. You just. I was thinking about what was it. I, I would probably yeah. I'd probably go and buckle down and become, um, an attorney of some sort. But I would not. I would, I would probably. It would probably be something that you know, like an entertainment law or, um, you know, a patent law sort of of thing. You know. That would be mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's funny. I could see you doing really well in that because I think you have this natural tendency to want to defend and be there for your friends. And if you went into entertainment law, you have, you know, oodles of friends in the music industry already who would absolutely want your help, I would imagine. So that's cool. Hopefully you don't uh, have to make that decision in that way ever. 
Um, but it's good to know that there's something else that you could potentially be passionate about that would help other people. So that's cool. Um, so there's a couple questions, as I mentioned about the military and, and your experience. So, I mean, um, the first one is pretty, pretty straight up. And, and the person asking this is a former veteran himself. Um, his name is, uh, Shiloh Tapley and he's asking, what did you do in the army and how do you think it has shaped you as a musician or a person now? Um, he says he always enjoys asking fellow veterans and musicians how their service affects their artistry. Um, and I, I'm curious as to even like, what was your influence to get into the military at the time that you did? <laughs> oh, all right. Well, um, first of all, Shiloh, is that his name? Yes. Okay. I was, I was in the Navy. I was not in the army. I was in uh, part of the Navy that's pretty small. It's called the Seabees. Got it. And basically you attach to like a Marine Corps battalion or you have spots that you deploy and you do construction. And my specific job was heavy equipment. I was an EO, an equipment operator. And I was in from 2001 to 2009. Uh, I was in a battalion in Port Wyneme, California, NMCB3. And I deployed four times in five years there. So I did... Uh, Spain, Japan, Guam, and Iraq, and then I did a three-year shore duty in San Diego. And I guess how it, um, how I joined the military uh, was maybe out of necessity. Uh, at least, at least for people, let's let's be real. Like, how many, how often do you meet a motherfucker who's in the military who's just like, yeah, my parents got a shitload of money, and I, you know, like I got, like I, you know, I got tons of options, you know. People, at least on the enlisted side of the military, join because they're like, they either got in trouble or they're like, you know, I got to get the fuck out of my shitty hometown. And um, I guess it was a little of both for me. Um, I was getting in trouble a lot uh, in my hometown. Um, and I just made the decision. I had a friend who was a year older than me in high school that... Uh, I saw him and, you know, he was just doing good and he'd gotten out of, uh, gotten out of there about a year earlier. And I was just like, man, I might as well. So, um, I joined in February of 2001. Um, and as much as, you know, like it's, it's a thing that, you know, like, uh, like the military is it's it's a weird thing like of course there are parts of it that certainly suck but i mean as far as like what it did for me to like help me continue to like grow up and then like i don't know like things that it helped me with now it's probably the best decision i've ever made um I have a few dudes like who I'm still close with who are still in. And, um, I don't think that, I think I definitely got out at the right time. Like the military imitates society in a way with like, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a big corporation, you know, and like almost an extension of high school. So <sighs> things change, like for instance, and I'll put it this way. And there's probably going to be a lot of people who are going to take this the wrong way. But like, if I were a kid, you know, like, when I was 18 years old and I was on my first deployment in Spain, I showed up 
to work late or whatever. I got my ass reamed by a fucking alpha male dude. I was scared. And he fucking, like, you know, I, I had a shitty job for the next month. I was, like, showing up early, shoveling, you know, asphalt or doing something like that. And, like, it made me get my shit together. Whereas now, like, they're just so quick to write people up. Like, there's no, like, real, like, hard-ass, like, grandpa discipline. Like, no one's, like, and, and I think that's, like, an inv- invaluable part of, you know, I guess. If you want me to sound corny, like, making me a better man is, like that you know like i needed uh, my dad was a very stern man too but i needed to have like you know my ass handed to me by some like some stern dudes to get my you know to get me to grow up and like i said i think people are going to be like take me the wrong way when i say that and think that i'm trying to be too old school or whatever but um that's why i don't think i would have I'm glad that I got out when I did because everything is so like paperwork driven now from what I've been told. And like, uh, I don't know. It's just become like a, like a castrated emasculated version of what it was. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's an interesting take, uh, from what I've heard from, uh, other veterans. So I appreciate the, your honesty in that. It's, it's fascinating to me. Um, uh, and, and publicly real quick, Wes, and also Shiloh, I want to thank you guys, uh, for your service. Um, because I mean, for me personally, it's, it's hard to empathize with that type of decision in one's life. So I have great respect for that. And, and following up on that, uh, we have another question from the group, uh, real quick for those listening. If you don't know about where we're getting these questions from, we have a private Facebook group. Uh, you can join and we'll add you in facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissants. And each week uh, we let you guys know in the group who the upcoming guest is and, and we'll field questions from you guys. And uh, one of our listeners, Edward Smith from West Virginia, uh, Wes, his question for you, uh, he's looking for advice for anyone looking to enlist in the military. And he asks specifically because he says that his girlfriend right now is working on joining advice about joining sure yeah that's what he's asking advice uh for anyone looking to enlist in the military um i mean dude sure like i said i'm i'm i got out in 2009 so i don't have any like real like serious um practical experience other than what i hear from my like friends who are e7 and e8s now and like they just tell me like jesus christ shit's changed but um I mean, dude, if you want to go and do some shit and get some college benefits and, you know, see, like, the world, go and deploy some places and, and, you know, get scratch that itch, there's no better way to do it. And especially if you're in a situation when you're, like, in a, you know, a small town and you want to get out, I'd say it's, like, a, a super quick, super quick way to make a big change. I hope that helps. Very yeah, cool. that's great. That's definitely great. Wes, um, you know, this is actually, there's another question from the group that, that I'm really curious about. Um, because I've seen you at different points in your life, um, you know, during the time that I've known you, where you get into specific routines or you'll change your routines. And there's a question here from somebody named Wilson Adams from Nashville 
uh, who is curious about, uh, you know, do you have any specific daily rituals or, or routines currently? Or is there a point in your life where you really did and you found that it either helped or kind of propelled you in a, in, in a specific direction? Um, yeah. Um, I mean, dude, routine's good for anyone. I don't know. Actually, I shouldn't say that. I know that there's people who are totally different and they're like, I like doing different shit every day, but um, really the, I do the best when, um, sorry, I'm about to turn on my car again. You're going to hear some beeps. Um, good. When I'm like being accountable and you know, like, like whatever that, like whatever that is towards a goal. Like I'm really like, whether that's a fitness goal or like a goal spiritually, you know, like where I, I, if anybody in this podcast like is listening, check out any of, uh, Eckhart Tolle's books. Me and Matt talk about them all the time. Um, they're, they're real good. Sometimes it, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty hard stuff to practice, but I think that's what kind of makes it amazing. But yeah, I'd say, um, you know, definitely no authority on it. I'm definitely uh, a big time work in progress. But yes, it, are there rituals? Not necessarily. Um, but do I much? I do much better when I'm in a routine and um, like following guidelines for my life. And I guess you know, like whether what I mean, it just it's just like. It's a thing where if you if I like if I am fucking up, you know, like not doing the right thing, like eating shitty, like everything like that, like just not not living right. Um, and I have all this money in my bank account and everything's great. I'm fucking miserable. Alternatively, if I'm broke, but I'm like running these drills on myself and like really dialing myself in, I'm fucking happy. So does that make any sense? Like that's, that's yeah. what the different, the difference is to me is like, that's what routine does for me. Absolutely. Is, uh, yeah. I, mean, I, I think it, we can all relate to that. Um, it's something I've been thinking about a lot recently and I listen to, uh, Jocko Willings and I know Matt does as well podcast a lot. And he always talks about, um, like, you know, just having set routines for yourself just to give some control, uh, to your life, you know, and having sanity of your life. Uh, I feel like just, you know, I know we talk a lot about anxiety, um, and generalized anxiety in the group, uh, and on the podcast. And I think having, uh, set routines and taking responsibility and more control in your life, you know, as simple as like the making your bed idea in the morning, which, you know, is, is very like militaristic, um, is, is stuff that is, uh, something that you can start to control and, um, I think, you know, it's something that I'm definitely practicing a lot and thinking about a lot of trying, even though there's a lot of random variables that will get thrown my way, uh, but trying more to come up with uh, just, you know, a set routine, something that works. And I do like that a lot. Yeah, he's that guy, that Jocko guy. He's the dude who's got that, uh, like, that Instagram where he's like pictures, they're black and white pictures of where he just sweat. Is that, you know what I'm talking about? Like where he just, he's like, 
Like it's a picture of where he just very obviously worked out. Yeah, like he'll do like it'll be like four thirty. So like, you know, like oh four thirty, he's up up and at him, ready to go. And uh, and then like six o'clock or so, it'll be like you know like mission accomplished. Here's what I defeated. You know, sweat all over the kettlebells and barbells and whatnot. I think dudes trying to be badass and being hard on themselves in order to be badass. I think that that's like that's badass. <laughs> like you know, I mean, that's quite like simply like you have to like being real with yourself and being accountable is like the key to I guess being happy. And that, that Jocko dude, I saw a quote of his. He's like, try this formula. 1% thought and 99% action. Yeah. And I was like, damn, that's hard as fuck. Like, that's, you know, there it is right there. Yeah, no, that's true. And it's funny, like, we had um, our buddy Finn McKenty on recently on the podcast. And, you know, he kind of resonated with that as well. And he referenced Jocko in, in simply just saying, like, do the fucking work. You know, if, if you're feeling or, or you know, if... If you're going through a hard time, good. That's good. Resistance is going to make you stronger. It's going to make you better. And you know, giving yourself those hard pep talks really is what you need because no one else is going to do that for you. No one else gives a fuck about you like that. You got to be able to self-soothe, but also be able to like you know kick your own ass sometimes. And I think that that's really the key to a lot of uh, people's success when they're facing really big challenges, you know, and Wes, I've seen you do it to yourself. And and I think that, as you said, you really are the happiest when you have that routine and when you are kicking your own ass. So if you're not in one of those phases now, maybe this podcast, yeah, maybe this podcast, like in this experience will be really good because I know that the three of us are always trying to push ourselves that way. And that's really how this whole fucking, you know, this, this whole project came to be was, we just wanted to inspire each other, and then we thought that maybe we could inspire and, and and help educate other people through other people's experiences. So, so it's cool. But yeah, dude, um, thank you for joining. It's it's been really cool to have you on. Um, I know for me, you know, it's it's really nice to just to have a conversation with you that other people will get to hear about because I don't know if a lot of people out there really get to know the real you. They know you as a player. They know you as uh, you know uh, the guy who's been in a lot of really cool bands, but getting to know you, how you talk, the way your mind works, you know, your humor. I think that that's something that people will see through this episode. So I really appreciate you being on. Is there, um, is there anything else that you wanted to say or anywhere specifically that people can find you that you would want to promote right now? Um, I mean, I'm on the internet in a few different spots. I got a Facebook, I got a fucking Instagram and a Twitter and, um, I do teach guitar. If you're interested in that, uh, Lessons at gmail.com and uh yeah thanks for having me on this is a good one i think we i think we 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 tackled some hard-hitting issues and had like like laughs too yeah pretty good laughs pretty i i always have good laughs with you yeah you know matt matt we should share uh on youtube there's um uh, a great piece a band happy piece of wes offering uh his guitar lessons we should share that yeah, that's an old one, but yeah, yeah, I mean, he still offers lessons for sure. Um, <laughs> that's funny that 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 that's it up still there. exists. It still exists. Oh yeah, it's it is the up. internet. So speaking of the internet, guys, whether you're listening to this in October 2017 or March 2025, uh, we always are appreciative and thankful for your attention. Uh, this was a really cool one, and I think Wes had a different 
vibe and perspective than some of our other guests. So, Wes, I want to thank you personally uh, for bringing yourself to the Chocolate Croissants podcast. Uh, episode 30 is next week. God damn. Matt, who is going to be on episode 30? Do we know yet? Yes, we do. Our guest for episode 30 is Mr. Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com. Mike is a he's a drummer. He is a entrepreneur. Um, he's a hilarious dude and has um, has a lot to offer. He's a, he's a big educator, and I think people will really um, will really learn some cool things from him. Not just about drumming, but about life, business, uh, and so forth in general. And shout awesome. out to Jeff Lang, who often uh, mixes and masters these uh, episodes that you're hearing in your ear holes, as Matt would say, uh, who is currently uh, enrolled and uh, taking lessons on Mike's website. Oh, that's awesome. That's Very cool. cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, so again, everyone listening, we, uh, we thank you for the attention. Uh, if you have found value in, in Wes's story and this podcast, uh, we'd ask a couple small favors. Uh, if you'd go into iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review, that would be helpful to us. Again, we mentioned the Facebook group. It's a private Facebook group. And really in the past week, I've seen a lot of engagement, uh, some, some threads with 50 plus comments. And it's really just people helping each other out with similar experiences. Uh, if you'd like to join facebook.com slash groups, slash chocolate croissants uh send a request and we'll get you in uh and finally if you listen to your audio on a uh on your phone open up your podcast and you can type in chocolate croissants hit the subscribe button and that way you won't have to be using your data every monday morning or throughout the week to listen to this audio uh when you're outside the home or outside of a a wi-fi signal i think that's it guys am i right yeah yeah, we I did think it. that's it. I yeah, think we that's did it. it. We did it. We thank you, Wes. Yeah, thank Yo, you, Wes. Dude, well thank done, you man. Guys. Dude, that Wes, I feel like, you know, now we're we're great friends. <laughs> yeah, of course, man. Like you can come over and sleep on my couch. I got I make a good steak. Oh um, yeah. I, so I mean I don't work, know. We're gonna work out. out here. We're not yeah, gonna be elliptical sure, buddies anymore. Yeah, I gotta like you gotta you gotta toss me. You and Matt both gotta toss me some knowledge because uh, like I gotta I gotta you know I gotta get this boyish figure and you know in peak condition. We got straight. yeah. Back to that Skype photo. That's right, Wes. Oh, get yeah. back to straight let's up. get back to that Skype photo. So for those listening, if you've been thinking <laughs> about starting a podcast, uh, look, you can get free steak and a trip to California out of it. That's so right. if that isn't enough, I don't know what yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys. Uh, episode twenty-nine. That's a wrap. We want to thank you so much. We will see you in the Facebook group this week. We will see you in your podcast app of choice next Monday morning. And until then, as always, bye bye. Hey guys, just a reminder before you go that this episode has been brought to you by Nata Tattoo, a premium tattoo care company, a certified all-natural, all-vegan, and all-organic premium tattoo care brand. Their renowned tattoo care kit covers all steps from how to treat and protect your fresh tattoos to how to keep them healthy and looking great even when they're fully healed. Now, I personally have a bunch of tattoos and I've always struggled with finding the best aftercare treatments because I have super sensitive skin. 
Even my tattoo artist, Mr. Eric Willis, you can follow him on Instagram at Drill by Willis, will tell you that he is super careful while tattooing me because my skin has the tendency to become super inflamed and get ripped up. I actually have some scars in some of my tattoos just from some really bad aftercare treatment that I used previously. Um, so I'm, I'm extremely picky about what I use. And when I had the chance to use uh, the Nata Tattoo Care Kit on one of my fresh tattoos recently, I was presently surprised with the results. It healed up perfectly and it looks great. I started with their cleanser that they offer as part of their tattoo kit. And for the first few days, I applied that along with the lotion that they offer as the second piece of their tattoo kit. And then finally have continued using the balm, which is the third piece of their tattoo kit. Now, the cleanser was super easy on my skin, really doesn't have a strong scent at all. If, if any scent, I mean, it's barely noticeable. Um, the lotion smells and feels really great. It doesn't leave an oily residue and it reduces the inflammation and infection it actually feels really good going on. And then the balm has kept everything looking really, really good. It looks like restored from, from, you know, like the first day that I got it and it's fresh. And, you know, I always think that the second day of a tattoo always looks the best. And with the balm being applied every single day since, um, that's what it looks like. It looks like I just got the tattoo. So it looks great. Um, I also have been using the moisturizer and the balm on my older tattoos, some of which are years and years and years old now. And it's pretty, uh, pretty, pretty freaking cool. Um, how much these tattoos pop, like I said, even years later. Um, so, you know, just a little bit of history very briefly on the brand. Um, Justin and I got the chance to meet the folks at Nata Tattoo while we were attending the Health Expo East when it was here in Baltimore some weeks back. And we had a chance to speak with Nata Tattoo's founder. Uh, her name is Christy. And we were really happy to learn that Nata Tattoo is actually a family company that she started um, because she was in search of the best products for her own children's sensitive skin. So initially she started a brand called Pura Botanical, uh, which offers luxury bath products that are natural, safe, organic, and that would not damage or harm her own children's sensitive skin when they would clean up. Um, but then as her kids got older and they're, they're now grown men, uh, they started getting tattoos of their own and she decided to form and begin Nata Tattoo as a way to offer tattoo care that would achieve the same results as the soap products did by protecting and basically uh, keeping care of her kid's skin after they got tattooed. So basically, in a nutshell, Christy is a super mom who created this brand out of the love and passion for her own children. She's probably going to kill me for saying that, but it is what it is. She's a super mom. Um, and now what's so cool is that she's offering these helpful products for all of us other inked up kids out there. Um, and you know, we got to say thanks, mom, for that. Um, the company is also huge into philanthropy. They do a lot of work locally in Florida. Uh, they also do work overseas. And their goal has always been to create authentic products that work and and that have been built off of the foundation of a mother's love. And frankly, it doesn't get much better than that, I gotta say. So, whether you have existing tattoos or you're in the process of getting fresh ones right now, I'd highly recommend giving Nata Tattoo a try. The company has been very, very kind to us and they've actually opted to provide all of you listeners with a special discount code that gets you 25% off of any of the products in their store, including the tattoo kit that I described before that comes with the cleanser, the lotion, and the aftercare balm. If you like to purchase this stuff and use your discount, just simply visit natatattoo.com. That's spelled N-A-T-A-T-A-T and the number two dot com. Once again, that's N-A-T-A-T-A-T-2 
2com and use the code CHOCOLATE25 in all caps. That's all one word. CHOCOLATE is all caps. The number is 25 at the end. CHOCOLATE25. Use that at checkout and get your 25% off all of the products on natatattoo.com. You can also check them out on their socials. On Instagram specifically, they're at natatattoo. And once again, you can get your discount right now at natatattoo.com. That's N-A-T-A-T-A-T-2.com with the code CHOCOLATE25.